are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, welcome to Informative Conversations podcast show. There is so much more information to share in part two of my conversation with attorney Cindy Nelson on the subject of preparing for family care. So let's continue our discussion. So there are benefits that are available to help you pay for care. And first, even if you're on Medicare, it doesn't pay for everything. It pays for medical things like going to the doctor or the hospital, although a lot of the policies have co-pays. But what it doesn't pay for is what's called activities of daily living. Mm. So these are the things that we need help with in order to live. And I like to think of them as my routine in the morning helps me remember what they are. So the first one is being able to get out of bed by yourself. Yes. That is a a big requirement. Right. And so if you can do that, then you can do one of the daily activities. The second thing is going to the bathroom. Can you go to the bathroom by yourself? Mm -hmm. Can you perform some type of personal hygiene? So brushing your teeth, combing your hair, taking a shower. Can you do that stuff? Can you get dressed by yourself? Then can you take your own medicine? Can you remember what medicine to take at what time? Wow. Can you feed yourself? It isn't preparing meals, but feeding yourself. Oh, wow. And then the final one is, can you pay your own bills? Oh, wow. So when you look at these activities of daily living, these are the things that we need help with when we get sick or as we age. Usually the first thing that we need help with is that personal hygiene. Right. Because if you're sick, you get weak and you get unsteady. So going into a wet, slippery shower is pretty scary. Right. So you need someone to help you with that. And that is not covered by Medicare or Medicare supplements or anything like that. So that's where you have to have money to pay for that out of your pocket, or you have to have a family member that is willing to really put their life aside and come in and do these things for you. Right. And it's usually at a very great cost to them. Again, not that we don't want to do it, but it is proven that it takes your body three years to recover from being a caregiver. It's the most stressful job that there is anywhere. Yes. And so we see that a lot of times the caregiver passes away before their patient because of all of this stress on them. And because they're not taking care of themselves, they're not going to the doctor, they're not getting exercised, they're not eating right, they're not sleeping right, because they're taking care of everybody else. Right. 
And so that is just, um, you know, part of this sandwich generation. But mm -hmm. if you plan in advance, you can protect some assets so that you don't have to pay everything you've worked your whole life for, mm -hmm. and you can qualify for some benefits that the government has. There's two in particular types of benefits that we work with as an elder law attorney. One is a veteran's benefit. Mm -hmm. So for a wartime veteran, so this is somebody that was on active duty 90 consecutive days with one day during a wartime, mm -hmm. they are most likely eligible for a benefit called aid and attendance. And with this benefit, a married couple can get up to $26,000 a year mm. to help pay for care. That oh, could be paying a child mm -hmm. to provide that care. It can't be paying a spouse. Mm. It could be paying a child. It could be paying a third party to come in. So if you can qualify for that, that is an excellent benefit. $26,000 a year for the rest of your life right, can right. turn out to be a lot of money and offer a great amount of relief for mm -hmm. a 24-7 caregiver. Mm -hmm. And that's good for the veteran and also for the veteran spouse. Right. Now, the spouse doesn't get the full $26,000, but let's say that my husband's a veteran and he passes away and then I need care, I can get about $13,000 a year. Oh, oh, that's good. That's great. Yeah, still over $1,000 a month. Right. So, you know, right. sure, we'll take it. Right. The other benefit is called Medicaid. So there's a lot of confusion between Medicare and Medicaid. So let me try to keep them separate because I sometimes use the words interchangeably as well because they're so similar. But Medicare is a benefit that you pay for when you're working so that you can get medical insurance when you're 65 and older, because otherwise insurance companies wouldn't provide that for you. And before they implemented Medicare, people 65 and older could not get medical insurance. Hmm. Medicaid is a benefit that we have not paid in for, but it's a government benefit for when you need care and you can't afford it. Hmm. And so that benefit kicks in to help you pay for things that you need to survive right. until you can get to a place that you can pay for them or you don't need them anymore. Hmm. And so with Medicaid, that can include someone coming to your house. I was just meeting with a couple before this that, um, they have a brother and their brother has um, some medical illness and is needing someone to come in the house. Well, the area agencies on aging offer some of those services. Mm -hmm. They'll come into the house and do some light housekeeping. They'll also drive him to doctor's appointments. There's a variety of things that Meals on Wheels he can get. There's a, a variety of benefits and it costs about $180 a month in that case, but it's based on your income. Mm. And so because he's on Social Security disability and he makes $800 or less a month, he can qualify for these other benefits so that he can survive. Mm. And so 
a lot of people don't know about these benefits. So first you have to know about them. Right. And then you have to plan for needing them in the future. Did you have a question, Jacqueline? Yes. Okay. So let's take someone um, in their 80s. You know, I know, I know men in their 70s, 80s, and all their life, they saved up money. And they have a, a nice nest egg, let's say 200000 And they won't touch that because that nest egg is there in case something happens to them or their spouse, mainly medically, because as we know, we, we realize a lot of people go bankrupt because of medical bills, something they never expected to happen. So are you saying that this, would this Medicaid benefit um, these, would, would, would they be able to use that Medicaid benefit instead of using all of their money for in-home care? Yes, um, they can, depending on the situation. Every situation is different, but there is a way that you could take your life savings and put it in an asset protection trust and still qualify then for the VA benefit and for Medicaid. So today, if I needed to go to the nursing home, it's about $8,000 a month. And Nobody wants to go to the nursing home, but if I need that level of care, a lot of times, even my family just can't manage it. Right. So you need a 24 seven nurse and that's the only place you can get one, either pay for one to come to your house or go to the nursing home. So if I had to go there and I had to pay $8,000 a month, what I have saved all of my life would be spent very quickly. My nest egg is not that big. Right. And so I would be broke very quickly. If I take steps to protect my nest egg with an asset protection trust, then I can have my nest egg there in my savings or whatever format it's in. And when I go to the nursing home, I can qualify for Medicaid to help pay the difference between my income and $8,000 a month. And so some people will say, but okay, aren't you taking advantage of the system? And no, I'm not. It's like if you were doing your taxes and there was a loophole that saved you money, you would use it. This is a loophole that saves you money. And not one of us, as we were saving money, making sacrifices of not buying, you know, the most expensive car or not buying the new furniture and not going on the most expensive trip, we weren't saving that money so we could pay for medical care later. Right. We thought that was a given that someone was going to pay for that for us. Right. And in reality, all the people that spent all of their money and didn't stay, didn't save, immediately qualify for Medicaid. Mm. So it really is punishing the middle class the right. way that it's set up today. Because if you have a lot of money, you can afford to pay someone to come in your home and take care of you. If you have no money, then the government's going to take care of you. But if you have some money, in your example, Jacqueline, the $200,000, then that money would have to be spent before Medicaid would help you. And so if that person, you said an 80, 70, 80-year-old 80 man had $200,000 and he was single, 
he would have to spend about $198,000 at the nursing home before he could qualify for Medicaid. If he didn't do anything in advance or go to see an elder law attorney, there's some things we can do even if you don't plan in advance, but we can't protect all of your assets that way, usually about 50%. But if you plan five years in advance, you can protect everything you've worked your whole life for. Hmm. And who doesn't want to do that? They just don't know they need to do it. Right. And so, so Cindy, tell me about this five-year law. So it's a five-year look-back period. So let's keep using the guy with the $200,000. Right. So let's say that he's, you know, in his 70s or 80s. Let's pick 75 He's 75, he's got $200,000, and he's decided or learned that he doesn't have to save that all to pay for his medical care because there's some benefits he could get that would help pay for that care. Mm -hmm. So he could start enjoying life. I try to tell my clients, listen, if you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, this is your time. If you're still healthy and you can still get around, this is your time to do whatever you wanted to do. Because at one point, you're not going to be able to do that. And it comes along suddenly. So it isn't something that you always know when it's going to happen. So he could take some of that money and spend time with his grandchildren or, you know, take the grandchildren on a trip or maybe go on a trip with somebody else or, Maybe he's been not updating the floor in his house that really needs it because he's been saving this money in case he gets sick. So all of those things he could use the money for. During that five years, if he spends the $198,000, there's no penalty. Mm -hmm. But if he gives any of it away, then Medicaid will not pay for him for a period of time. Wow. And so so what, let, let me back up. So what if he has this 200000 and he decides to purchase a car for his grandchild and he takes 25000 Now, first of all, is this money already in his trust or is it just in the savings? This is just in his savings that he has. Yes. He, he's and, not done any planning or okay. anything. This is just his money. He doesn't know he needs to do anything different. Right. Okay. He it's just his money, and he decides I want to buy my grandchild a car. So I buy my grandchild uh twenty take twenty five thousand out, give it to my grandchild to buy a car, yes. and then uh, a year later, uh, he's sick. Talk to me now. Is that the scenario you've seen? Yes. And so in that scenario, Medicaid looks at it that he gave away twenty five thousand dollars. And so they will not cover him for a period of time equal to that $25,000. Wow. Because that was a gift. You'll see a lot of people will try to put their house in their kids' names. Right. Trying to protect it. That's not a good way to do it because of a, a variety of reasons. But if you give that gift away... You have to live five years without needing care in order to qualify for the benefit. The other reason not to do that, that a lot of people don't understand, 
is that if you put your house in the kids' names, let's say I put it in my son's name, my son goes out and gets in a car accident and someone sues him, that house is now part of his assets. Uh So I could lose my house in a lawsuit because of something he's done. Or if he gets sick and runs up a lot of medical bills that we all know could happen any day, then my house could get a lien against it for his medical expenses. Oh, wow. Or if he's married and he gets divorced, my house is part of his assets. (laughs) And then finally, if he passes away and he doesn't have a will, that house does not come back to me. That house goes to his family. So if he if if all this was in a trust in, in, in the planning, then none of those incidents, in any of those incidents, none of those consequences, they I wouldn't be affected by them. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So a trust is a low-risk way to protect assets. It's much better than trying to put it in your children's names. And Let's say I have my trust, but I've only had it for three years mm-hmm. instead of five years. And one of these incidents occurred. What happened? Where you had to go into a nursing home or a medical incident or what kind of incident are you referring to? Uh, I'm, re- I'm referring to if I had it in a trust and I had this 200000 and uh, I had to go into a, 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 a I had a medical incident. Okay. So where you needed medical care, it's got to be in there five years. If it's only three years, then again, we can protect about half of it, but it needs to be in there five years to be completely protected. Now, Cindy, do you have problems convincing for myself when I was a caretaker and a caregiver? And when you were listing these activities of daily living, I was thinking, wow, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and I needed four out of the seven. And you and I was bedridden, and you said to me, uh, along with some others, and I did not want to take any government assistance. I did not want to do it. I fought it. I rejected it. And you said, Jacqueline, take it and use it while you need it. And when you don't need it anymore, you can come off of it. And that saved my life because it was my pride that didn't want to do it. And I know I kept hearing pride go up before destruction. But I, how, do you have clients that are that way that we, we just don't want to live off the government? But sometimes we have to. So do you have clients like that? And if so, what do you say to them? I absolutely have clients like that, a lot of clients. And of course, it's their decision as to you know what they take advantage of as far as government benefits and what they don't. But um, all of us have paid taxes and um, we have contributed money so that we have this safety net. Right. So in case we're ever in that situation where we're bedridden or you know, we need care that we can't afford or food that we can't buy. That is exactly what the program is for. It's not there for someone to live a lifetime on if they don't need it. Right. So um, 
I try to tell people to take advantage of it. And it is like you say that in many cases, it is a life or death situation. If they don't take advantage of it, then they will die. Right. Because they don't have the care, the resources that they need. Right. And so most of them, between the family and myself, we can, you know, talk them into it. But frankly, there's some that we cannot. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you a story about a client I had. Um, and this is just for your listeners to get an idea because we all think this isn't going to happen to me. Right. right? I'm not going to be the one that's going to get sick. Right. I have medical insurance. I'm mm. not going to have big medical bills. Right. That is not going to happen to me. That's going right. to happen to Jacqueline or mm-hmm. you know, to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Those poor unlucky people, but not to me. Right. And so this particular man uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And he was working. He was 61 years old and he had a good job, had good benefits, but the leukemia made it so that he couldn't work anymore. And so he was able to still keep his medical insurance, but even with his medical insurance, he capped out on what the insurance would cover. And he ended up at 63. So it was a year and a half after his diagnosis owing a million dollars to two different local hospitals. Right. And you think, oh my gosh, a million dollars. When he came in to see me, he was actually in the last weeks of his life. He didn't Mm. recognize that. Mm. Um, I recognize that. I've helped thousands of families. So I see things differently now because of that. And I knew he didn't have much longer to live. And Mm. I think I don't think he lived three weeks, Mm -hmm. but in that time, we were able to take the assets that he had and put them into a trust so that when he passed away, everything he worked his whole life for didn't go to the hospitals. It went to his family. Oh, okay. Because that's what he did that for. He Mm -hmm. didn't do it so that it could go pay for outrageous hospital bills. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you think it's not going to happen to you. And that's what he thought right before he was diagnosed with leukemia Mm -hmm. and how it changed his life. And a year and a half later, he was dead. Mm. So I want to go back to something because you said it was about three weeks for him, but all in all, it was less than five years. So how were you, it was, his trust was less than five years so how were you able to keep his things from going to those people, uh, to the hospitals to pay those bills if it was less than five years? Great point. And thank you, because I didn't make that connection. So thank you for doing that, mm-hmm. for connecting the dots and um, having me walk through that. So when we're talking about benefits, it has to be in there five years. Okay. So if you want to qualify for Medicaid, the assets have to be in there for five years. He wasn't trying to qualify for Medicaid. Uh He was trying to protect assets Uh from creditors. Now, if the hospitals had started to pursue the debts that he owed, we would not have been able to save the money. Uh But because they had not, we were able to protect the money. Oh, wow. What a And his house. And, you know, so... 
Um, thank you for helping me bring that clarity because I didn't make that clear. Yeah. No, but yeah, so there's different times, lengths of time that it needs to be in the trust depending on the situation. That's why I say every situation is different. But I do want to make a point to all the listeners, and this five years is a federal law. It's not just a Georgia law. And so anybody that owns a house, even if you don't own it outright, if you're buying a house, I would recommend that you put it in an asset protection trust. Mm. And so why would I do that? It's because once it's in there, it's got to be in there five years before you qualify for benefits and for it to be completely protected. So there's no downside to putting it in there early and having it protected Mm -hmm. other than you cannot be the manager of that trust. You have to have somebody else that you have a lot of confidence in to be the manager or trustee of that trust. But you're not giving over complete authority, which you would automatically think, because we build in some ways that, let me walk through a scenario. So a few years ago, my husband got colon cancer. And colon cancer is very serious and it actually runs in his family. So, you know, um, he had been getting tested for it and and doing a lot of preventative things, but he still got it. And when he became ill with the colon cancer, even though he had just turned 60, we decided we're putting our house into a trust because we don't know what recovery of this is going to look like. Mm. And as long as our house is in a trust, then I'm comfortable spending every other dime that I have to get him well. Right. Because I know I'm not going to be destitute. Right. I'm going to have the value of my house. But if I don't have the value of my house, if my house is at risk and everything else that I own is at risk, especially as a female, there's a very high likelihood that I will be living in the level of poverty Mm. because women typically have income of $15,000 a year after 65 where men have a higher income, but I don't want to be living in poverty. So if I can protect the equity that I have in my house, then I'm okay if I have to spend everything else for him to get well and Mm. vice versa. I wouldn't want him to live in poverty. And if something happens to me where we've got to spend a lot of our assets, that's it's okay as long as we have some cushion there. And this is what the Asset Protection Trust offers you is a cushion. Now, some people will say, but all right, can I sell my house if it's in there? Yes. Okay. So last year we sold our house. We're at the point in our lives where we wanted to downsize. The kids have flown the coop and I wanted something smaller, easier to take care of. And so, yes, we sold the house that was in the trust and we bought another house right in the name of the trust. And our trustee, 
who is one of our boys, had to go and sign all of the documents to sell the house. Now, if he would have said, no, I don't want you to sell your house. I'm not going to sign those documents. Then we have the authority in our trust to fire him. Oh, okay. I was about to ask. Okay. I was about to ask, do you have a secondary? (laughs) Yes. And so anytime that he doesn't want to do what we want done, then we can fire him and put somebody else in there. So that's our safety net of giving up a little bit of control of our assets that are in the trust. Okay, let me ask something here, because I keep hearing you say we can fire him. But earlier we talked about if one person is incapacitated, you know, not able to. So if, 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 if one of you all aren't able to do it together, can one of you fire him? Yes, if the trust is for two of us yes. and one becomes incapacitated, the other one could still fire him. Oh, great, great. Okay. But there is a risk if it's one person. So say I was single and I had this trust and I became incapacitated. Now, I don't have the ability to fire him anymore because I'm incapacitated. Mm-hmm. But the other beneficiaries, which in my case, would be the other children, do have the authority to fire him. Mm. So again, I plan for what I call the curveballs of life because we never know what's going to happen. And so my son's a good kid today and he's financially responsible. I have no doubts. But what if he gets dementia in 20 years Mm. and he starts acting crazy and then he's got control of my house? So I want to plan for that. I want to have an out if something happens. Okay. So, Cindy, this is a good way to ask, a good time to ask, what about blended families? And a trust is a great idea for a blended family. And we are a blended family. We each have two children. And so we've been together for many years now. And our children all get along and they love each other. But if something were to happen to one of us, the question comes, let's say something happens to me, then would my husband still have the same relationship over time with my children? Or, you know, sometimes there's family dynamics that happen. And my husband is going to remarry. I mean, he needs a woman. Right. Right keep him on the straight and narrow. He can't live by himself, although he would deny this. Yes, yes. (laughs) Uh, He would remarry. And, you know, maybe my kids wouldn't like the new wife or maybe the new wife wouldn't like them or whatever. So I want to make sure that what we have built together over the years, that my children are going to get a part of it. Mm -hmm. So the way the trust is set up is whichever one of us survives the other, gets everything. Mm. But whenever the last one of us dies, it's divided between the four children. Mm. And once one of us dies, we can't change that. So I can't cut his kids out of the will and he can't cut my kids out of the will or the trust. That's concrete. It can't be changed. So that gives me peace of mind that no matter what happens in the future, 
that my children, and I don't think that, you know, my spouse would want to cut them out. Right. But again, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Right, right, right. So that's a protection for a blended family. Okay, because um, uh, tell me about the state of Georgia, but I know that there are different laws for other states. But for the state of Georgia, if I have been married for 30 years, should I assume everything comes to me? It does not. Uh, If it's a blended family, if it's a blended family. Well, if you don't have a will in the state of Georgia, everything does not go to the spouse. Okay. Okay. No matter if you're a blended family or not. But let me tell you, if you didn't have a will and you didn't have a trust, let me tell you how that would work. Mm -hmm. Again, let's use the example that I pass away. And so when I pass away, half of all my, if I don't have a will, um, two thirds is going to go to my children and one third is going to go to Randy. His kids would not inherit anything from me. Mm. Mm. Wow. And then when he passed away, my kids would not inherit anything from him because they're not blood. Okay. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, what is the average cost of, of this planning? You know, um, so everything is a little bit different, but we work on what's called a flat rate. And what I mean by that is when you come in, we offer a complimentary consultation where you can sit down and talk with a member of our legal team for about an hour. And during that time, we'll talk about what's important to you. What kind of assets do you have? All of the things that help us to get to know you and your family situation. And then we can create a plan. But most of the plans for an individual are about $5,000 and for a couple are about $6,000. Okay. So it sounds expensive, which it is but it should last you throughout the rest of your life. And it's going to protect a huge investment that you have. And it probably is cheaper than going through probate court, which it will help you to avoid. Right. Okay. And so let me ask you, Cindy, do, is this a one-time fee payment or do you, do you all have a payment plan or how does that work? Because I know a lot of states, they recognize uh, handwritten wills and signed and things like that. But like we're learning now, they don't include all the details. <laughs> and people, it's a lot of people that want this. They need, they realize they need it. They want it, but they can't afford it. What do you say to them? Well, it's all a matter of, you know, what's important to you. And it is a lot of money. Um, there's no doubt about that. But if you're trying to protect what you've worked your whole life for and protect the people that you love, then this is one of the best gifts that you can give them. You can put it on your credit card and pay it off over time. But if it's a difference between spending $5,000 and protecting a $200,000 house, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get that kind of return on your investment. Plus, like I said, you get to avoid probate court. So I did have one guy, though, that told me that until he got his man cave, 
he was not going to pay for this. <laughs> oh. oh, wow. So I would you say I told him that was certainly his decision. We're not high pressured, you know, it's yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately he passed away before he paid for this. Oh. And so then he left his family in a very difficult situation. Oh, my goodness. I want to go back to you said you practice law in Georgia. Yes. You practice law in Georgia. I have listeners all over the world. So do you have, especially for the United States, do you have attorneys that you work with in other states? I do. So I am a member of two national organizations that um, I feel confident people that are involved in those organizations are going to provide a high level of expertise. Great. And so, yes, if uh, you want to give us a call, we can help you find one, or you can even go online yourself. The one organization is called NALA. It's the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys. N-A-E-L-A. The other one is called Elder Council. Okay. And both of those you can search by cities within a state. So Cindy, tell me some things. I, I, I just got a job in another state. So I'm moving to California. You just told me you can only represent me in Georgia. Mm-hmm. What happens to my, my trust, my prepared my preparation well the trust itself is federal law so it does transition from state to state you had to pick california which they have the most different laws Um, california and louisiana have like their own world when it comes to laws (laughs) the other five documents that we talked about to begin with the five things that everybody needs A lot of times those vary from state to state. Those are governed by state laws. Oh, wow. If you were to move to California, you would need to go and talk to somebody, have them look at what you have and see if it meets the requirements for California. So in in my moving, my planning to move, just like I would have to change my address, I would have to change my driver's license, my voter registration, then changing my documents would be important for me to have on that list also. Absolutely, yes. Okay. And especially because you have, you know, one child that's underage, which um, we haven't talked about this, and I want to talk about this. Okay. Okay. Is that if you have underage children, you need to have a will that says who you want to raise those children. Now, if I'm divorced and something happens to me and I have an underage child, the child is going to go to their father. But if their father has already passed or if the father and I are both in the same car accident and we pass, then your child is getting involved in the foster system Mm. because you haven't identified anybody to raise your child. Wait a minute, they won't automatically go to the nearest relative, their grandparents, the 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 my sisters. They they won't. Well, 
which one are they going to go to? Because you haven't told them which one you want them to go to. But but sometimes I see now here I go. See my news education. When I'm watching the news and I get educated by the news, sometimes I see where I hear them say the child is currently being cared for in the custody of the grandparents or the children is currently um, in the custody with this, the aunt or something like that. Yes. And you're absolutely right that they're in that custody. But now the grandparents or the aunt, somebody's got to go to court and get legal authority over them. So it's temporary custody. Yeah, well, yeah, it could be long-term custody, but it isn't that they have legal authority. And so let's say that the child is five years old and an only child. Both parents are killed in a car accident. And so let's say they go live with an aunt and now the child just inherited everything from their parents. Right. But they're underage, so they can't manage it. So the court gets involved in that too. Every year, that aunt has to go and present a budget to the court of this is what I think I'm going to need out of the estate to raise this child. The court has to approve the budget. And if you need anything more than that, you got to go back to court and get approval again. Mm. The other thing is if your aunt and your mom are in a dispute, about who's going to raise your child. Then they go to court and they fight about it and the court decides who's gonna raise your child. So you just don't want those decisions to be caught up. You don't wanna be caught up in the court system until that child turns 18. Plus, as soon as the child turns 18, they get whatever they inherited just outright. And so if you think about I don't know any 18-year-old that needs to have a chunk of money. I sure was not. Right. I don't know any. (laughs) I don't know any. No. Well, I would have gotten a lot of trouble at 18 if I got a chunk of money. Right. We don't like anybody under 25 to Mm -hmm. get responsibility for any money. Mm -hmm. And so, again, if you have a child that's under 18, Can you imagine what would go through, what that child would go through? I mean, losing their parents and then not knowing where they're going to live and maybe people fighting over them, all this disruption. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way. So you can get a will and decide who you want to do that. So now that we're having this discussion, I can recall when I was younger, and there was a young girl, she may have been 11 or 12, and her mother was in an accident and passed. She went to live with family members, but her mother was pretty well off. And there was no real, I don't know how this worked out, but all of the money went to that family member. And within a couple of years, they had blown through all that money. And this child grew up, but when this child turned 18, they had nothing. They had nothing. And that's why the courts get involved now. Uh, But the courts don't have enough manpower to really scrutinize that. So that could happen that whoever's taking care of your child spends all the money. And once it's spent, you can't go and get it back, you know. So that is a risk. Um, 
And that's why the courts now get involved. I think the amount is $15,000. Anybody under the age of 18 that inherits $15,000 personally, then the court gets involved in that. And they get a guardian ad litem. And I mean, just have a lot of bureaucracy, but I don't feel like they have the manpower to really scrutinize it like you would want them to. And so in my will, I could say how much I want to per year or per month. Could I do that? Could I state that in my trust? This is how much the person's caring for my child receives each month. You could do that in a trust. A will is only good at the time that you die. Mm -hmm. So you can't carry things on longer, but a trust lives on even after we die. Cindy, will you tell my listeners how they can get in touch with you with Nelson Elder Care Law? I will. So we're in Georgia, outside of Atlanta. We have offices in Woodstock and Marietta. So you can find us online, nelsoneldercarelaw.com. Of course, we're on Facebook and um, LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram as well. Or you can give us a call and our number is 678 650-9355. So Cindy, I want to ask you, as I do all of my listeners, please leave our listeners with some words of encouragement. Well, first I'd like to say that I think you're an inspiration, Jacqueline. Thank you. And so if people knew everything (laughs) that you have done throughout your life and how ill you were and how you have come back from that Mm -hmm. and the things that you're doing now to help other people, Mm -hmm. I think is truly an inspiration for all of us. So thank you to God be the glory. (laughs) Thank you. And so my words of wisdom to everyone else is, you know, don't avoid the subject. Mm. Because again, you don't have to get into the gory details. You don't have to sit around the Thanksgiving dinner and say, well, now, mom, if you die, blah, 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 right? (laughs) That's how they go. (laughs) You can say one day when you're talking to mom, you know, mom, have you thought about this? Do you have a plan? Mm. I want to honor your wishes. Mm. So just give me some idea of what are your wishes. And the wishes can be really high level. It could be that, you know what, I do have a plan and I've saved money for this. I've went and talked to an attorney, so I've made sure it's legal. And here's who I want to do what things. You don't have to tell them how much money you have or who's going to inherit what. But, you know, give them some peace of mind that you have a plan. If you don't have a plan, if mom says, no, I really don't have a plan, I'm just going to, you know, wing this because I'm going to fall over dead one day. (laughs) You need to say to mom that the chances of that happening are not very high. And that's not the woman that you want to be remembered as. Mm -hmm. That's not the legacy that any of us want to leave. Right. We want to leave the legacy that we love the people that are in our lives. We want to make everything easy for them. Mm. So think about what legacy do you want people thinking about after you're gone? Do you want them fighting and trying to figure things out if you become ill? 
mm-hmm. or even years later fighting through probate court, etc. No, mm-hmm. you want to think, you know what? They loved me enough yes. to get things in order. Right. Oh, that's great. That's really good. I want to stress two things that I learned from you is to be sure that I tell them where to find the information. I don't have to give them the details, but make sure they know where to find it. If you use Nelson Elder Care Law, you call Nelson Elder Care Law and they can help you through the work. The other thing I want to stress is the importance of this five-year law. I asked you one time, I said, how soon should we prepare for this? <laughs> so give me your answer. <laughs> Five years before you get sick or die. <laughs> and since we don't know, the time is now. I, I really like to say that you just don't want to wait until it's too late. Right. Cindy, thank you for sharing. I know you share because you really do care. Okay, listeners, now that we know, let's start making preparations for our families. You can reach Nelson Elder Care Law at 678-250-9355 or visit their website, nelsoneldercarelaw.com and take some time to listen to a few of their YouTube videos under Nelson Elder Care Law. You can also find this information on the podcast link at uptomeradio.com. Thanks for listening.